ladies and gentlemen, Cardinal fans of all ages, welcome to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. I'm Chris Grace. I'll be your host, joined every week by current Wesleyan Athletic Director and former head football coach, Mike Whalen. Each week, Coach and I will interview some of your favorite former Cardinals and find out exactly what they've been up to. Without further ado, it's time to check in with the coach, Mike Whalen. Coach, we've got another guest. We've got another guest with a high-profile position. This up-and-coming young man is class of 1998, former Wesleyan basketball standout, current associate head coach at Yale, Matt Kingsley. Nice enough to join us on tonight's edition of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Coach, I'm pumped up about another great guest here representing Wesleyan University. No question. And, uh, you know, from uh, talking to, uh, you know, Wesleyan uh, basketball enthusiasts, you know, they say Matt could uh, could really, really shoot it from the three-point line. And uh, I think it was, you know, the all-time uh, three-point uh, uh, leader until uh, Harry Rafferty broke that recently. Uh, but um, great guy. Um, and uh, his wife, Michaela, works here at Wesleyan. So uh, he's, you know, when he can be, he's always on campus attending some events. And, uh, you know, very loyal Wesleyan guy. And, and obviously the success that they've had at Yale and particularly in the last couple of years, winning the Ivy Championships, going to NCAA tournament. Uh, I'm excited to catch up with Matt tonight. It's it's really been kind of uh, a whirlwind in terms of Yale basketball. You know, they dealt with a lot of strong traditional programs in the Ivy League, whether it be Penn or Princeton throughout the years. But since Coach Jones has been there, and obviously Matt's been there as his associate head coach, they've done some phenomenal things and I, I can't wait to hear from him and, and kind of hear about the evolution of that program and, and how they kind of got there. But first things first, Coach, we got to catch up with the man behind the man, Mike O'Brien. He's going to tell everyone how they can be a part of our podcast and also how they could come away with some free Cardinal swag. We'll tell them that in just a bit. But, Mike, tell them how they could be a part of our podcast. Yeah, so you can follow Wesleyan Athletics on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So you could reach out to us that way if you have any comments or suggestions on the podcast and, and ways that we could improve it. Um, we're also on the Athletics website, the Wesleyan University SoundCloud channel, and the Apple Podcast app. You could also reach us by emailing athletics at wesleyan.edu if you're not on social media. So we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you reach out to me personally on Twitter at chrisgrace82, either coach or myself will give you a special prize, whether that be Maybe an autograph of the coach. Maybe it'll be a Wesleyan t-shirt. I don't know. Hit me up at ChrisGrace82 on Twitter. Would love to hear from you. Love to know what you think of our podcast. But first things first, we're going to catch up with tonight's guest, class of 98, second all-time leader in threes, Wesleyan Cardinal basketball program, current associate head coach of the Yale Eli basketball team. He is Matt Kingsley. Welcome back to another edition of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score, your only official Wesleyan Athletics podcast. Joined, as always, by the coach, Mike Whalen, our producer, Mike O'Brien, and our guest today, class of 1998, former Wesleyan basketball standout. In fact, he is currently the fifth all-time scorer in Cardinal history and uh, is the second all-time leader in three-pointers made in the history of the Cardinal Hardwood basketball program. He is currently the associate head basketball coach at Yale. Matt Kingsley, class of 1998, joining us on our podcast. Matt, welcome to our athletics podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk a little hoops and talk about Yale and, and, uh, and Wesleyan and, you know, just uh, kind of chop it up a little bit. Okay, so Matt, what we like to do in the beginning for everyone is kind of tell us how you ended up in Middletown, how you became a Cardinal and, and talk about your experience. Obviously, prolific scorer playing for the Cardinals and, and how that kind of shaped and molded you to, to becoming a, a future coach. Yeah. So, um, I played high school basketball at Notre Dame at West Haven. And, uh, there was a, a, another player prior to me who, you know, was a good friend of mine, a big influence for me. He and my brother were classmates. Uh, and his name was Brendan Leary. And so he came to Wesleyan and, uh, you know, his senior year, I was a senior at Notre Dame. His senior year at Wesleyan, I was a senior at Notre Dame. And so uh, I really looked up to him. He was a great player. You know, he was the all-time leading scorer at Wesleyan for quite a while until he was passed by a couple guys in the last, you know, 10, 10, 10 15 years or so. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, big influence for me. Uh, I came to visit 
you know, as a senior, you know, I, I really liked the campus, uh, the people. Um, I was impressed with Coach Kenny at the time. Uh, you know, he had a great resume. He's like hobnobbing with Gene Cady and, and all the all the big wigs in college basketball. Uh, those were like, his, you know, his colleagues and, and, and his friends in coaching. Um, and so he had a great reputation, you know, and so I, 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 re I really loved the place. The campus was awesome. Uh, and on, on one of my visits up there, I, I came up a couple times actually, on one of my visits, uh, I saw Wesleyan Williams game. Um, and it was like, literally like it blew my socks off. It was Wesleyan lost the game in triple overtime and Brendan had 39 points. And, uh, Mike, I don't know if you remember this game at Wesleyan. It was like an incredible basketball game. And, you know, it was in an old Fairweather gym. There was the, uh, the steel stands that they wheeled in there. And, but you didn't notice any of that because the environment was just incredible. The whole place was packed. The game was just awesome. And I was like, wow. You know, and so from that point on, it was like, you know, Division three basketball, um, that's no, it's no joke because the players were good. You know, those Williams teams were, were really good. Uh, and you know, at the time the, the Wesleyan program was getting better. Um, and we thought that we were, you know, on our way to, uh, to having a, a really good team. And then we went through some uh, trials and tribulations, which I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> so, you so Oh, go ahead, coach. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, so, you know, um, you know, I, you know, similar path, Matt, in terms of, you know, growing up in Connecticut, you know, people tell me, ask me all the time, you know, what was it like, you know, going to school, you know, 30 or 40 minutes away from your hometown, you know, and, and my philosophy was on it was, you know, it, you know, whether you're 30 or 40 minutes or whether you're three or four hours, you know, you, you, you know, you don't go home. So what's the difference? You know, for me, it was, I enjoyed my parents being able to come to the games and, you know, they didn't miss a, a football game. They didn't miss a wrestling match. And, and then, you know, uh, going home on a, on a Sunday for, you know, a meal and, you know, have my mom help me with my laundry, you know, I mean, there's a lot of perks to doing that. You know, what was your thought on that? Uh, you're, you got it spot on. Um, it was awesome. You know, on the drop of a dime, I could get home if I needed to do something or see somebody on a Sunday to do laundry. Like you said, like, like that, that, that really resonated with me because that happened quite a bit. Um, <laughs> And then obviously to have your parents be able to come up and see the games. And, you know, when I, when I decided to come to Wesleyan, there was two other kids from Hamden that were basically like my best friends that came too. And, and they were very good players as well. A kid by the name of Chris Carino, uh, who, you know, was, was a captain with me um, and played for four years. And then Brian O'Dowd, um, who would have been the all-time leading scorer at Wesleyan, but he ended up leaving the team. Uh, after uh, a coaching change, and he, he just kind of uh, decided he, he didn't want to play anymore, and which was unfortunate because as a freshman he averaged 13 points a game and uh, was a, was a great player. And he and I played on like bitty basketball teams, you know, won championships together as 10 year olds, 11 year olds, and 12 year olds. And so uh, it was really uh, pretty awesome to to go to college with those guys uh, and, and play at that level. And so. Um, you know, we had a whole contingent from him that, that, that came up to Wesley and, and uh, was excited to play together at the time. So, Matt, you know, each week with all of our guests, we kind of always seem to find that sweet spot, which is something critical happened that kind of led them to their career path, right? When Coach always refers to it as the grind, you know, that moment where you realize that, you know, things aren't going to be quite as easy as they seem, and you have that kind of put-up-or-shut-up kind of moment in your life. Um, obviously you know, team-wise at Wesleyan, you guys didn't achieve all of the team success that you probably wanted. But did that motivate you as we're going to get forward and talk more about your professional career as a coach? Did that experience kind of motivate you as a teacher and as a leader after going through kind of some of the tough times that you guys went through during your tenure as a player? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, at, at graduation, no, it didn't. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go into basketball when I graduated, you know, but now as a coach and, you know, after nine months, I was able to get back into basketball after graduation, nine months into a job, I got laid off, got a severance check and then took my first coaching job with Tobin Anderson, another Wesleyan graduate for uh, like 
you know, $3,000 plus room and board. And so, um, at the time I didn't want to get into coaching or, 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 you know, I needed a break from basketball. You know, my thing at Wesleyan was basketball was my life. And then I had three coaching changes in my four years. And so that's a huge part of who I am as a coach, uh, just being able to, um, you know, empathize with players through some of the trials and tribulations that they have, because chances are whatever, whatever uh, tough time they're going through, I experienced it. And so I think I'm able to relate to players on that level. They appreciate that I can talk to them about these certain things that, you know, maybe other coaches don't have the patience for or don't want to hear. Um, and, uh, and so, and so that was my, you know, three coaches in four years and, uh, not the team success that we wanted. I scored a lot of points and, and that's all well and good, but you know, you want to win games at the end of the day. And so I, I needed some separation from basketball at the time. And so I got a job. It's a, obviously a great education. I worked for a consulting company for nine months, uh, outside of Boston, made, made some good money. And then they were restructuring. And, um, I had an opportunity to stay with the company, but it was a perfect time for me to just get, get out. I had enough time away from basketball. Tobin had gotten his first head coaching job, uh, and asked me if I wanted to come join him. And I said, yeah, for sure. And so I went up to Clarkson and, uh, and, and, and just got after it from there. I had a few other stops after that, obviously, before, uh, I got to Yale, but, um, now, as a coach, you know, for the last 20 years, that is something that motivates me every day, you know, that I draw from, um, you know, just uh, I think it just is an inspiration and it helps me just like keep fighting and, and keep competing. Um, so, so uh, Matt, when you when you, you know, got out of the consulting gig and. Uh, you know, you went up with Tobin. Did, did at that point were you set on, or, or was this just kind of, hey, I'm going to try this and see if I want to do it, or like, you know, when did you know? When was the, hey, this is definitely what I want to do, and now I'm all in. I knew, I knew, I knew right then and there. I, I was looking for the opportunity after six months to, to start coaching again. You know, my dad was a coach. Um, he coached at the high school level. He coached at the college level. Uh, my high school coach was like a huge influence for me as well. And my dad assisted him, uh, after he, 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 you know, he, he wasn't head coaching anymore at the time and just kind of helped out at the school. And, uh, you know, Gary Paladino was at Notre Dame. That was my high school coach. And he won, you know, 500 games and, uh, state championship and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And he's one of those old school types of coaches. He's actually in Joe Riley's father's tree of coaches. It was like, you know, Gene and, uh, Coach Riley at South Catholic and Gary Powell, you know, they were all part of like the same tree. They were like best friends. And so I grew up with that same kind of old school mentality, teach the fundamentals, um, you know, drill everything home. And, and, and I was held accountable and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that was great for me to have that as a foundation uh, to then get into coaching. Cause I draw on that, on those experiences all the time. Like as far as the coaches that, uh, I played for, um, Paldino was the most influential for me, you know, and I played for him the longest and, and I was at a young age. So you're taking in the most probably at that time. And so it, it makes sense, but, um, I still talk to him, you know, now, uh, pretty regularly, not so much during the pandemic, although we do email back and forth, but, uh, you know, I go to his house uh, in a normal year and, and, uh, you know, we'll talk some hoops and stuff like that. He'll come to Yale games. So. So, you know, when we were previewing tonight's show, one of the things that Coach and I were talking about is, you know, we're, we're getting towards, you know, how you end up at Yale, but you guys have really, in a, in a short period of time, become the preeminent program in the Ivy League. And, you know, on the surface, people think Yale. Well, Yale's obviously this prestigious school that has lots of great athletics programs. But when it came to basketball, I mean, you're dealing with Penn and Princeton, two schools that traditionally have just been, you know, way up here and then you guys come in and, and, and Harvard and, and you guys have had kind of a, you know, a dominance over the Ivy league. Talk about kind of getting to Yale and getting to where you guys have gotten over the last 10 years at Yale. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, you know, co coaching basketball 
at, at our level, it, it's one of the most competitive fields in terms of being able to get a job. And so the first time I interviewed at Yale, I didn't get the job. So when I left uh, Clarkson, I went to St. Thomas More Prep School, and I taught and coached there for two years with Jerry Quinn, which was another great experience and a like super high level of basketball. Yep. And uh, after that, uh, two years there, I interviewed with Coach Jones, and he had an alum by the name of Isaiah Cavaco, who's now the head coach at Oberlin, um, that just graduated, and, and he told me after my interview that, uh, I really liked your interview, and I think you'd do a great job, but I have an alum that I think is going to take the job. I don't think he should take it because he just graduated from Yale, and it's a volunteer position, but I think uh, I think he might take it, and so I just wanted to let you know, and, and then... And then so I didn't get I didn't get the job, and so then I went to Eastern Connecticut, and I coached there for three years um, with Bill Geithner, who's another excellent excellent coach uh, and has won a ton um, in over the last ten years. Uh, and then after my three years at Eastern, I interviewed again with Coach Jones, and then I got the job, and there was that familiarity there, uh, which helped. Um, and so uh, that that's that's like the first part of it. <laughs> Chris, remind me what the, the second part of the question was. Well, I guess, well, well and it's probably my fault because I tend to be long-winded, but the first part was, how did you end up at Yale? So you answered that perfectly. Yeah. A for the day on that one. Now, the second part was, since you've been at Yale, Yale has become a transcendent program within the Ivy League in a conference that has had a couple of historically, amazingly successful programs. So what do you think it is Aside from, you know, Coach Jones and, and yourself, what do you think it is that has propelled you guys to such successful heights, um, you know, winning games in the NCAA tournament and, and qualifying for the NCAA tournament as many times as you guys have in the last handful of years? It, it takes a variety of factors. Um, and, you know, we obviously grinded for a long time. But uh, the number one thing that, that I'll point out, and these are not necessarily in like a hierarchy of order, but the consistency of our staff has been huge. You know, Coach Jones and I have been coaching together for 16 years. And so we finish each other's sentences. You know, uh, we've had other staff members come and go in certain positions where um, we're, we'll be in meetings and we'll both know every in and out of the question that's being asked, but, you know, we want to give the other staff members opportunities to talk. And, and so we already know what they're going to say or what they're possibly going to say. And, you know, we've just been together so long. So there's a synergy there. Uh, there's a trust level there as far as the basketball content, as far as the recruiting. Uh, and then we have another assistant, Justin Simon, who's been there for 10 years. And so now we have three guys uh, who, you know, and Justin and I are really close. We work together really well. Um, and, and I do a lot of work with, with our guards and the offense as a whole. And he's a 6'8 post guy. And so we talk all the time. And so we kind of have that synergy as far as like having the post guys and the guards work well together because we're talking all the time. Hey, this is what I'm working on with our guards uh, and, and where I see our offense needing to go. Um take a look at what the post guys can do with this. And, and so, you know, we'll coordinate on all kinds of offensive things. Um, and we just have a great relationship. And so uh, I think the consistency of the staff has been huge. You don't see that a lot in the Ivy league just because uh, you know, it, it's just it, players, te- uh, co- coaches tend to move on, you know, whether they're going on to other division one jobs, you know, better paying jobs or whatever the case, division three head jobs, um, but we've, we've had that, we've been able to have that consistency, which is great. Uh, the other thing is like, honestly, and like most coaches wouldn't want to admit this, but the turnover on other staffs has allowed us to capitalize, you know, like, uh, when, when Princeton had, you know, um, uh, John Thompson Jr. left, Joe Scott came in and then he didn't do great. And then, uh, Sidney Johnson came in and then it took him a while. And then, uh, he, he, was probably not going to be able to sustain the one championship he won. And then uh, Mitch came in. And so like Princeton was, you know, the cream of the crop and, and, and they had all these coaching changes, which you're able to capitalize from uh, on, from a recruiting standpoint, 
one of the biggest recruits we ever got was um, from New Jersey, Justin Sears. He was a two-time player of the year in the league. And uh, we got him, you know, during a summer where they had a coaching change. And so that means there's a three-month period where, where they may not have anybody communicating with this kid. And so we were able to capitalize, and, and, and Justin came to Yale, and, like, he's an all-time great, all-time great in the history of the Ivy League. And so uh, you're able to capitalize on recruiting, um, and then you're also able to just capitalize on the consistency of your program. Um, you know, you get a lot of carryover from one year to the next. You know, once you're there five or six years and you can build your foundation, and then that stuff is just kind of feeds itself, then you're able to go away from those things and focus on other areas. And that's when you really start to get better, when you have your foundation working, and then you can kind of get away from that and then focus on these other areas. And so we were able to do that at the right time um, and, uh, and, you know, and capitalize on, on some changes around the league. You know, Penn, Penn uh, the other, you know, big-time school in the league, was able to hang in there and continue to win because Dunphy stayed on for a while. Uh, and then when Dunphy ultimately left, you know, you, you see what's happened to them now. And, and so there's been a dip in some inconsistency there. And so, um, hey, uh, I'm really happy that I've been at Yale for 16 years. People talk about, um, you know, a variety of experiences and – I'll, I'll go with 16 years at the same place over three years at five different places over the course of 15 years, any day of the week, because I'm just learning more and more about how to not just be good, but sustain greatness. Um, and just being able to sustain being good. Um, every year it's like, all right, we've got a new crop of players. How do we tweak our offense? How do we make this match the guys that we got? You know, what does our roster look like? What are our needs coming in? Um, as opposed to, you know, going to a new program every two or three years and, you know, just trying to figure out what they're doing. Um, yeah, yeah, you're, you're learning new and different philosophies. But if you're only there for two or three years, like you're not learning all the ins and out of it. So you're just kind of learning stuff on the surface. Uh, and so I, I really value the experience that I've had at Yale over the last 16 years, just being able to really get uh, deep into, uh, you know, what it takes to sustain winning. It's Chris. And, 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 oh, sorry, coach. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I just want to uh, kind of um, dive into the, to the recruiting a little bit, Matt, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, you start to have that success, you know, you, you get somebody like an impact kid like Sears in the program. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, you, you know, you're, you're not, you're not looking at the same kids you were looking at three or four or five years ago. Now you're looking at kids that, you know, you might be recruiting against Baylor or you might be recruiting against, you know, and, and now you're in a whole different ball game. So talk a little bit about that evolution and, and, and how you needed to adjust your standards in terms of, you know, trying to get those those really top, top, top marquee players that, that you were now in the market for. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's happened pretty smoothly and naturally. I, I think we have adjusted well. Um, I, I think there's multiple factors that have contributed to, you know, us being able to get involved with better players, and it hasn't all had to do with our success. Um, you know, obviously, once you're more successful, more players are ready to listen. And let's, let's be honest, it is Yale. Right. And so even when we, even when we weren't good and we, we were never bad, right. We were always like finishing around 500, even, even, uh, you know, in my first five years, 500, seven and seven in the league, eight and six in the league. And so, you know, third, fourth place, whatever. But e even when we, we were at that level, when Yale calls, people would still listen. You'll still get on the phone with big time players one or two times. And then they may not be interested after that, but, they're still going to listen because it's Yale. And then once we were able to couple that name and the prestige of Yale with a successful basketball program, you know, that, that beat Baylor in the NCAA tournament, uh, that all ha that had all these high major non-conference wins, you know, beat UConn when they were defending national champs and uh, Clemson and Rutgers and Penn State. And so once you're able to couple that with the prestige of the name, uh, that was huge. But those weren't the only factors. The, the other things that contributed it to, to it were uh, financial aid got so much better, 
right? And so now, you know, we're offering free, you know, as good of a scholar, as good as a scholarship, you know, to families that make $75,000 or less. And this tiered plan where if you're making $150,000 or less, uh, you know, you're paying zero to 10% uh, of your income on a sliding scale from 75 to 150. And so, you know, all these different factors, the financial aid, and then, and then uh, the, the admissions as well, right? Test scores were going up. Everybody was scoring well, doing more prep. So we had a larger pool to, uh, to recruit from, from an academic standpoint as well. And then uh, there was this whole idea of, hey, it's not about the next four years, but it's a, about the next 40, right? Everybody says that. It's like almost annoying. But that message was only reaching certain places 20 years ago. Now, that message is everywhere. You go to any community, any state, and people are people are chirping, you know, it's not about the next four, it's about the next 40. And so people understand how important it is or how valuable it could be for your family, for, you know, the, the kids, uh, you, you know, your kids and then your kids' kids if you have an Ivy League degree. And so I think people understand that better. And so all those factors come together uh, and it allowed you to get involved with better players and you know, I just think we, we were always uh, wanting to get the best players. Like one thing that we never shied away from was wanting to call and, and just at least reach out to players that were reaches for us. And so we continue to do that. And then you see a little bit more success and you recognize it. And then, hey, all right, well, let's do a little more of that. And then you're seeing a little bit more success. Um, and then the program starts to sell itself. You know, we were able to alums were getting excited we were we were doing renovations on the facilities the locker room the weight room so now kids are visiting and they're really impressed with the place and so it, the whole thing just starts to snowball um you know and if you can get some momentum in that way uh you can definitely you know capitalize on it it's chris and coach beyond the box score uh coach whalen and myself are joined tonight by class of 1998 wesley and alum Matt Kingsley, the current associate head basketball coach at Yale. Matt, you talked about how, you know, in terms of recruiting, some of the things that made it a little bit easier for you guys because of how consistent the coaches have been at Yale and all the turnover at other schools. But there's something I want to talk to you about because uh, something that goes unnoticed, and you guys have had personal experience with this, the Ivy League with their strict policy that players only get four years. Now, and I'm not, I hope I'm not digging too deep in a wound here, but I, I just want to hear your perspective on this. You know, you got a guy like Makai Mason, who, you know, is a, is a local product, played basketball here, you know, in a local prep school. And, and you know, obviously was a, a key player, you know, to some of your success, that big win at Baylor. And then, you know, he gets an unfortunate injury and, and, and then you have to see him suiting up for Baylor. Uh, tell me about kind of, you know, what that's like from a coach's perspective and, has there been any talk about the Ivy League, you know, you know, not penalizing the program and not penalizing the players by making them have to to play somewhere else for their fifth season? You know, in the case of an injury or something like that, where they have a year of eligibility, um, but, you know, the Ivy League doesn't allow grad students to play, or in the case of some of the Ivy League schools, uh, this may come into play. You only have eight semesters. And so you can't just stay on campus. You can't just uh, stay on campus for a ninth and 10th semester and play, um, even if you're an undergrad. And so, yeah, those are, those are tricky rules. But to be honest with you, Chris, they're just, they're out of our hands. And the presidents decide on them. Uh, I'm so removed from that process because it's the presidents, it's the ADs, it's the head coaches, and then it's the assistants. So like there's four degrees of separation already. And so, um, you know, obviously, uh, the head coaches try to get it on the agenda. Um, and then it's talked about, I don't know if it's ever going to change. I think it, it is something that is discussed. Um, you know, it, it has something to do with like the, the college, you know, college athletics at its truest is undergrads. And so like, like, Hey, I played division three basketball. I get it. And, and it is what it is. I don't really worry about something that that, that is that. You know, um, if guys get hurt, it's like, hey, we got it for three years. We're gonna make the, we're gonna try to make the most of it. And I don't I don't really worry about it. It's not something that I can uh, control. Um, you know, one thing 
you know, in this particular instance with the pandemic uh, that we did, which was trying to get ahead of the curve, um, is, you know, we encouraged a lot of our guys to just take the year off because we didn't think we were going to have a season. So we only had six guys on campus this year. Unfortunately, one of them was a senior who was the player, returning player of the year in the league. Um, so we'll lose him, uh, and he's being entertained by Kansas and Miami and uh, Texas and all these different schools. But uh, we also have, you know, other great players, another first-team all-league player, defensive, uh, another defensive player of the year in the league, uh, and, and, and multiple other, like, really significant contributors that took the year off. So we're going to retain those guys for all their eligibility, uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, we can handle that sort of chemistry and, and just a little bit of extra depth for a year or two and, uh, and capitalize on that. And that's so a good, I'm going I'm to give you a little bit of encouragement here, Matt. So it only took us 25 years to get the ninth game approved in football in the NESCAC. So it can happen, you know, miracles can happen. Don't give up on it. You know, it could happen. So, well, co coach, we, we're, we're what, four years into uh, the Ivy League basketball tournament? So I, I feel you. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You know, and, and Matt, the other thing, too, is, you know, again, I, I just wanted to point that out because I don't know that every, any, everyone really understands how that works. The thing you guys do have going for you, though, is it's, it's almost never happens that anyone leaves prior to four years in the Ivy League. So you don't have to deal with the one and dones. You, when you get a guy, you're pretty much guaranteed to get him for four years. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so you're able to kind of build that bond and you talk about the cohesiveness of the coaching staff. You're able to build a great chemistry from a team, which is really a great thing. And I'm, I'm sure that kind of contributes to why you're you're so happy uh, at Yale. You know, speaking of that, though, you said you've been there for 16 years. Um, do you have aspirations to, to eventually uh, be a head coach at the Division One level or are you just right now just happy where you are and, and happy, you know, at Yale with, with Coach Jones and kind of what you guys are doing there in New Haven? Yeah, yeah, of, of course, I, I want to be a head coach. Um, you know, I've gotten to a place, you know, with, you know, after, you know, a series of interviews over the last several years at the Division One level, the Division Two level, the Division Three level, and then the, the pandemic hits as well, which has contributed this. And to be honest with you, I'm just happy to be coaching, especially with the success that we've had over the last five to seven years. Like we're reaping the benefits and it's been so much more fun uh, and gratifying because, you know, you, you get some, uh, um, your success is telling you that you're doing the right things. And so I'm just enjoying coaching. Uh, I'm trying, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I was always looking for the next job. Uh, and, and I can I can honestly tell you I I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just enjoying coaching. Our kids are awesome. We play a really high level of basketball, and the right situation is going to come along at some point, and uh, you know then it'll be time to make a move. And I think the circumstances will tell me that. And so uh, the 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 major thing I love about coaching is I just want to compete but I can't compete on the floor anymore. And that's what I love to do is compete. And my wife hates it because, you know, she wants to just like, you know, have a more happy go lucky and just be nice to each other. But I'm just like, I can't help myself. I'm competing all the time in everything that I do. And so coaching is for me, it's the closest thing I can get to, to still competing as a player. And, you know, and, and so that's what I love to do. I love to compete. I love the strategy part. I love the recruiting part. Uh, I love the player development part. And all those three things help me, uh, you know, really get my fix of, of continuing to compete. So, Matt, real quick, you know, I, I'd, I'd be amiss if I didn't touch on this. Talk about kind of that experience when you guys took down Baylor in the NCAA tournament game and what that week was like. Obviously, when you when you coach at a school like Yale, your goal is to win the Ivy League, right? Your goal is to get to the NCAA tournament, and I'm sure somewhere you want to win one of those games. But until it happens, it's got to be you know it's got to be an amazing experience. Just all the attention, you know, you're playing Duke after that. Just get, I mean, talk to me kind of about that whole week and the whole experience. Yeah, it, it was surreal. It, it it really was surreal, and I give a lot of credit to teams that do that for the first time and then win the next game and maybe even the next game because 
what what got me was after we beat Baylor, we were so un, unprepared for like how to prepare for the next game because it was just a circus. And it was Duke. Uh, the, <laughs> Andy Katz and, uh, you know, um, Sports Illustrated, all these people, like we were in the locker room for, for three hours after our game. Uh, they were doing interviews with everybody. Our fifth manager was inter- was getting interviewed. <laughs> it was wild. And so um, I definitely want to win again, and I think we'll be more prepared uh, for that second-round game and hopefully be able to advance even beyond that. Um, but in terms of the game against Baylor, uh, you know, Makai Mason had an unbelievable game, and I think that's what you need sometimes. Uh, it definitely was awesome to be in Providence uh, because that gym was so loud cheering for Yale uh, down the stretch of a close game. And it, it was pretty amazing because I did the scout for the game. Um, and this is how Baylor played. Like they kind of had this matchup zone that a lot of teams mm-hmm. are playing. But I don't know if you remember back then, they were playing this matchup yep. zone. Super athletic wings. Yeah, I remember exactly. Yeah. And, and it gave a lot of teams problems. But, then, you know, and, and you watch all their games leading up to the tournament game. And you're like, all right, well, they're going to play their matchup zone. And then if you score on – if you show that you can score against them consistently, at the 10-minute mark, they're going to go man. And if they go man, we got them. And so you, I tell – I tell, I kid you not, I tell the players this story. I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never been – this is my first NCAA tournament of any level as a player or a coach. And I tell them this story, honestly. I just try to feed them some confidence. If we, if we can show them we can score against this zone, they're going to switch to man at the 10-minute mark. And then we got them. And I knew that we could score on them uh, in our man offense because, uh, you know, we, run, we were running a ball screen motion back then. And, and to, to be totally honest with you, the high majors can't guard it because at the high major level, they're doing all isolation all the time. And so the teams that run sort of a system, uh, they're, they're successful at that level. And so the whole thing was I knew we could score on them consistently if they played us, man. And so we get to the 10-minute mark. Uh, I think we had, like, a, you know, a couple basket lead. They switched to man. We go to the media timeout, and uh, and everybody – it's just like, guys, they're, they're going to switch to man, and we got them. I, don't, I can't remember specifically if they had already switched to man, but it just fed the confidence level, and – uh, I think that's what you need. You know, you, you kind of need a couple strokes of luck. You need somebody to have a big game. You obviously got to have a good program. And um, the other interesting thing about that matchup was they were the number one rebounding team in the country, and we were number four. Um, and they had Rico Gathers, who, like, mm-hmm. you know, got drafted to play in the NFL after a basketball career. And um, we out-rebounded them that game. And then uh, Tor- Torian, Torian uh, Prince had yeah. that interview, right? Uh, how does Yale out-rebound Baylor? And, and his snarky comment to the uh, reporter was, well, the ball comes off the rim, you grab it with two hands, and you come down with it, and that's considered a rebound, and they got more of those than we did. And so, <laughs> yeah, so that, you know, that, that interview went viral. But, um, you know, I think it was a tough matchup for them because one of the ways that they can normally score a lot and beat teams up was also our strength. And so we were able to neutralize that. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you talk about during the course of the year, uh, the Ivy is, is a little different, and like just like the NESCAC. You guys play on the weekends. But, but you know, for an NCAA tournament, to, to play a game like that, and, you know, no one nationally pays attention to you, and you win a game like that, and, you know, you got Makai Mason, who's this little guard who scores 31 points, and, you know, it's this, you got Justin Sears, you got all these great players and, you know, people are giving you all this hype and then you have one night to sleep on it and you have to play Duke. What's that like from a coach's perspective to try to prepare like, oh, hey, we just beat Baylor that has all of these freak show athletes and, and our reward is we get to play five lottery picks in, in a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really hard. So you, you, <laughs> go, you go Thursday, Saturday, right? So you, you have that one practice day. Um, but that night you go back to the hotel after the three hours of interviews and you got alumni everywhere. And all they want to do is talk to you about the game. 
No, you want to grab a quick bite to eat, you know, maybe have a beer and, and, and settle your nerves down a little bit. And then you just have to watch tape. Um, and, and with all the distractions and alums and everybody wants to talk, you're going to meet as a staff, uh, be, you know, before you, you kind of get into that um, next game. Uh, and, you know, uh, another coach had, had the Duke scout. So you divide them up beforehand, you know. So it's like I get Baylor. That matchup is preset. And then, you know, Justin, you have uh, Baylor, you have Duke if they win. And I think Coach Goins would have UNC Wilmington if they won or, or whoever the, the other opponent was. Um, and so you're, you're prepared either way. But you're going to meet as a staff and kind of go over your strategy. And then by, by the time you can actually sit down and, and start to, like, watch tape and start to process, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. So then your practice the next day is another circus. It's like – an hour and 20 minutes of uh, an, an open practice, right? And so there's people coming in and out of the gym watching you. So you don't really have privacy uh, and, and you're not, you're trying, you're not trying to hurt anybody either. So you're not going live with anything. Uh, so you're doing all walkthroughs and shooting, you know, some teams like they just do layup lines and the, fa- and the fans or the alums come in and just like watch them do layups Um and so you don't get anything done in that practice. So it's really hard to prepare. So that's what I was saying before about having been there and then knowing what it's like. It's like, all right, look at the practice in between those two games. It's going to be a joke. You're not going to get anything done. So you need to have a team meeting before that. That's three times as long as your normal team meeting before that practice before a game. Uh, and then you're going to you're going to want to have another meeting that night because you got to talk about these things because you're not doing anything worthwhile on the floor. Um, and, 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 you know, hey, n- now I know. <laughs> so, so, Matt, go ahead, go ahead Chris. Well, I was, I was just going to say, Matt, so so now that you've you've kind of, you know, you've you've been at Yale for a long time and you experienced what you experienced as a player at Wesleyan. You've got all this great experience coaching in college. If you could tell some current athletes at Wesleyan, if you could if you could go back and give some advice to some current athletes, whether it be athletes that have been super successful as a team or athletes that have been on teams that have struggled and are working their way up, what would you tell them that you know now that maybe you didn't know back in the in the late nineties? Yeah, it's a great question. Um just buy, buy into what your coaches are doing. You know, what, what we get at Yale is tremendous buy-in from our players. And it's took a lot, it's taken a lot of groundwork to get that, that large percentage of buy-in because uh, it's definitely increased over the years as we've gotten better um, and the culture has improved and all that kind of stuff. But if you have your own agenda or you don't agree with what your coaches are doing, that's definitely going to be a worse result than if you just buy into what they're trying to get you to do. Because you can't have, you know, in, in the case of basketball, five players on the floor and then 12 or 13 players on a team tr- all trying to do their own thing or disagreeing with this and, and, and butting heads with the coach on that. Just swallow your pride. You, you, cho- you chose to play a team sport. Just swallow your pride and buy into what your coach is doing. Now, there might be an idea out there that, that uh, uh, would win your program 25 games instead of uh, 22. And so somebody might have a better system and idea. But let, let what your coach is trying to do win 22 games for your program because that's still going to be pretty good. And if you got 12 players that are on the program going in 12 different directions and five, five players on the floor, you know, all with their own agendas and being selfish and, and trying to do their own thing, well, now you're going to win – 12 games or eight games. And so you're, you're just hurting your team's success. And so just buy into what your coaches are trying to tell you to do. The other, the other thing, uh, Matt, that, um, you know, you know, we're doing these podcasts now that I've really enjoyed is, you know, obviously talking with so many West alums that have been really successful. And, you know, most of them, in fact, all of them that we've done so far have, have had careers, you know, in something to do with sports, you know, whether it's, you know, being a commissioner of a league or, you know, being an AD or being at the professional level, um, you know, 
and, and the and the one kind of common bond that that they that every every person that we've we've talked with has been, you know, the things they learned at Wesleyan and how they've translated into their profession. And 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 I and I think that speaks volumes about the value of the liberal arts education. You know, because you know, we don't have a coaching major at Wesleyan. We don't have a you know, uh, an AD major, athletic administration major, anything like that. But yet so many people that come out of Wesleyan are so successful in athletics, in, in professional sports. Talk about what you learned at Wesleyan that, that helped you, you know, get to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, well, my, my first thing is that I met my wife there who, who I wouldn't be half uh, the person or as successful as I am without her support. Um, and so that, that's first and foremost. And she's still here, by the way. <laughs> she is still there. She's very loyal to Wesley. Yep. We love her. And the next thing that, that comes to mind for me is just the people. I just think it's the type of place that attracts tremendously motivated people, uh, amazingly talented people in all different kinds of fields. And so if you're a basketball player that strives for excellence and you're surrounded by you know, these people in all these different fields that are striving for excellence and doing such amazing things in all these different areas, well, that's what you want to do too. And so I just think you get that. You get some kind of magical experience when you have those type of people. Uh, you know, Wesleyan is not for everybody, uh, but it was awesome for me. And I just think that, you know, the type of person that visits there, sees the place, uh, likes what it has to offer, and, and it's a beautiful campus. It's an unbelievable school academically. Uh, it's a very diverse. It's progressive. Um, I think the type of person that chooses to come to, to Wesley is it, it, like a, a special person. Uh, and so when you put you know twenty seven hundred of those all together, you just you ju you're just going to get people who are uh, superbly motivated. Uh, and motivating each other. You know, you have this little think tank of people that are just going to go out and, and help each other achieve great things. Well, Matt, you know, at the end of all of our episodes, we like to, you know, put our guests through a little bit of fun, something we like to call the gauntlet, okay? Coach and I are going to ask you, we're going to alternate questions. They're all based on Wesleyan, okay? There's no pressure. We just want you to answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Ten questions. We're going to put you through it. You you good to go? One word answers? Or, or One word's fine, but you can answer however you want. Whatever pops up, just just, just uh, say whatever comes to you, okay? Yeah. All right, Coach, I'm going to lead off. All right, good. Change okay, here we go. We're going to change it up. Matt, this is a softball question, as Coach would say, which, you know. <laughs> I, although, although some people have struggled with it. Although some people have struggled with it. it could be a softball or a baseball question. We'll, we'll put it that way. Who's your favorite professor at Wesleyan? Richard Adelstein. There you go. All right. I like that. Who was the most influential person in your life? My dad. What was your first job after graduating from Wesleyan? Watson and Wyatt Worldwide, human resource consulting firm. <laughs> nice. All right. Here's, here's it's a tough one. This is a tough one, Matt. If you were forced to cheer for one, would it be Amherst or Williams? Uh, probably Amherst. Okay. Yeah. I, I like Hicks. Hicks is my guy. He's a good coach. When you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? An NBA basketball player. Good. That, that didn't change. All right. <laughs> what was the best piece of advice you received in your life? My, my high school coach's motto is uh, – is charge 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 I like, it. I like it i like it in three words describe your wesleyan experience grateful eye-opening with a hyphen so that's just one word yeah you got it and uh fun there you go there you go what do you miss most about wesleyan I miss my friend, my friends. I have the best friends. I lived, I lived, I lived in a four-person house with you know a, a 
players from other sports. I lived in a 10-person house with players from other sports, as well as my wife and her girlfriend. That was a, that was a, a wild year. And uh, <laughs> they all played different sports. We had hockey players in the house. We had baseball players in the ho- house. We had football players in the house. Um, and just all great people that were fun to be around, and I, uh, and I stay in touch with all of them. What's the best uh, Wesleyan highlight from the last 20 years? It could be in anything, any sport, anything having to do with Wesleyan. Uh, well, Mark Woodworth is, is, a, is a really close friend of mine. Um, and so uh, I'm going to say, you know, that first time he, he cracked it and got into the NCAA tournament as a coach. There you go. Good answer. Um, last one. Who is the Wes alum? you would most like to have dinner with? Bill Belichick. <laughs> so what, what, what he didn't make the cut for that one. <laughs> I do that all the time. All right. That's my boy. So you're, Woody, you're I'm never yeah. going to say a bad word about that guy. That's my guy. Yeah. Woody, Woody takes you to, 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 to dinner over the neon deli, right? O'Rourke's. Yeah. O'Rourke's. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he, hey, there's a lot to be said for, for simplicity. That's no right. Question. That's no right. question about it. No question. Look, Matt, we, we appreciate you spending time with us. It's been awesome. It's great to pick the brain of a guy who's so deeply involved in high-level college basketball, and uh, we sure appreciate you spending some a lot of time with us late at night here on our podcast. So thanks for being with us tonight. Yeah, thank you guys. I, I had a great time uh, just reminiscing about, uh, you know, some, some good times back in the day. So I appreciate the questions uh, and being able to do that. And um, I'm definitely appreciative of you guys just thinking of me and having me on there. It's awesome. Awesome, Matt. Really appreciate it. And, and again, you know, you, you alluded to it, your relationship with Woody. But again, for me, you know, what's what's been great is, you know, I know when you have time, you always come by Wesleyan watching sports you know, supporting Wesleyan and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, as the athletic director, I, I appreciate it. And I know a lot of my colleagues do. So, uh, you know, we, we're always rooting for you down there at Yale and, and we wish you continued success. And, and uh, again, hopefully when, uh, you know, COVID's over, and we all get back to our normal life. Uh, we can, we can get together, but thanks again for spending time with us tonight. Sounds good coach. Thanks a lot. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for us for another edition of Chris and coach beyond the box score for Our guest tonight, Matt Kingsley, class of 98, for, of course, my co-host, the coach, athletic director, Mike Whalen, and producer, Mike O'Brien. I'm Chris Grace. You've been listening to Chris and Coach, Beyond the Box Score, your only Wesleyan University official podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody.